a dear Santa, please bring me a big fat bank account and a nice slim body. And please don't confuse them like you did last year. I don't know how you're going with the presents. Probably most are doing okay. We've had Black Friday, Cyber Monday, etc. But how many presents are memorable? I mean, if you look back over your years, how many do you think, oh, yeah, I remember? Not that many are really memorable that you get at Christmas. I mean, there's a few, probably, if you thought about it. For me, I remember vividly 1980. 1980, the Millennium Falcon. Now, there are two reasons in particular I remember that. One, I was a boy who loved Star Wars at, at that age. Uh, why wouldn't you? And, uh, but secondly, secondly, that was the year, well, the year, sadly, in my household that Santa died. Because uh, uh, my mum, so she just recalls, uh, she found me writing a letter. Dear Santa, I had asked you to bring me the Millennium Falcon. Can I change my mind on that? I found one under my parents' bed. So no longer need that one. Can you bring me other Star Wars toys instead? <laughs> and uh, there'd be a little, uh, few explanations needed to follow. No, that's kind of what Santa's bringing you this year. That's what you're getting from him, you nosy, naughty little character. And uh, Santa sadly died for me in 1980. But it's all right. It's okay now. Now, I wonder, uh, I wonder if some, for some people, actually Jesus is a bit like that. It's fine when you're growing up to have a baby in a manger, but you grow out of such things. You grow beyond him. You realize that there's something else going on in the world. Well, I just want to address that, really, for a few minutes. Because while not many gifts are memorable at Christmas, actually, if you understand what Jesus brings, that truly is. That truly is. So we had read... Uh, John uh, chapter 1, we had the nativity readings, but this one, which is how John begins his biography of the life of Jesus Christ. Uh, lots going on here, but I just got to look at this one verse, John 1 verse 14, where John declares, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. What's he saying here? The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. God became a man and lived among us, full of grace and truth. So if I could put it this way, I want to look at three presents that Jesus brings at Christmas. I'm going to flip them around a little bit. God brings at Christmas time truth, grace, himself. Okay, just those three. Three presents, not the only ones that God gives, but truth, grace, and himself. So firstly, God brings truth. It's a lovely expression, isn't it, that Jesus comes and he's full of truth. Now we like that generally. Not many of us like to be lied to or deceived or be made to feel that we're gullible. Earlier in the year or beginning of the year, uh, I made that classic mistake. I was fooled online. I uh, went onto a bogus website and uh, filled in my tax return and sent it off so I thought... Uh, and they said, well, thank you very much, we'll process. And you, I got charged £500 just for the privilege of going to this bogus website. And of course, you just, I just felt so annoyed. Mainly annoyed with myself. That's quite a blow to my pride to be done by a, a website that's a fake. But also, of course, annoyed with these people. You make your living out of lying. It's just really annoying. None of us like to be gullible or taken in. 
And yet people are in regard to Jesus. So here's a classic letter that was in the paper uh, this week. Uh, there's some discussion in the paper over, you know, there's no Jesus in Christmas anymore, etc., etc. Someone wrote in just uh, simply writing, Kyle Black from Manchester. I will not be thinking of Christmas. So, excuse me. I will not be thinking of Jesus at Christmas. For the same reason I don't think of ghosts at Halloween or the Easter bunny at Easter. You see what he's saying there? It's a load of codswallop. Just a fairy tale. Now, I, I read that and just think, oh, you poor bloke. You've been fed a lie and you've gullibly believed it. Oh, I don't know, that sounds a little bit patronizing. I don't mean to be. But he's just worked off an assumption that people run with. And it's nonsense. And yet people do just assume that sometimes. Easter Bunny, Jesus, just lump them all together with Superman. They're just all made up things. But it's just, just a mistake. Some people probably have a little bit of the blame uh, for perpetuating this. So, naughty, naughty Richard Dawkins. Uh, if you ever got round to reading The God Delusion, one of those books people buy, people start, people don't finish. But um, uh, halfway through the book, he, uh, he makes this comment upon Jesus and says, Well, the historical case that Jesus never lived has been demonstrated by Professor Wells of the University of London. You think, Oh, that's quite a big claim. Jesus never lived, says this professor from London, Professor Wells. Well, who is he? Here's the slightly naughty bit. He's a professor of German who's only ever taught German. So could you, Richard Dawkins, find anyone in the world anywhere with a PhD in history to deny that Jesus existed? No. No. Oh, there's someone who studies German who once said and wrote a book about it. Really? Well, listen, I wouldn't trust someone with a PhD in German to mend an airplane. It's just different categories. I don't trust someone with a PhD in German to do some proper history. Now, why would you write that? And I don't know. Uh, if that's just sloppy, lazy scholarship, if he's being naughty, if he's deliberately trying to pull people into his camp, I don't know. I don't know, it's not my place to judge. But you get people like Carl Black who say, oh, you know, Jesus, just like the, just like the Easter Bunny, just like uh, superheroes. No sane historian in the world believes that. And people just gullibly believe this. So annoying when you're sort of made to look a fool for something you assume. By contrast, beautifully, happily, Jesus, full of truth. For myself, growing up, uh, we were a Christian family. I just assumed that Jesus was a fairy story. I believed in Santa longer than I believed in the baby in a manger, I think, in my house. But uh, there came a point as an adult where I finally got round, probably thought I ought to, reading an account of the life of Jesus. It was uh, Luke's biography, which you've uh, got on your chairs. And I read it. It was interesting. And after a while, I thought, golly, this bloke is interesting. There's a consistency here that is rare. He says and teaches you should forgive other people. And you see him dying on a cross, and he says, Father, forgive them. And he teaches good to serve. Greatness is seen in serving others. And that's how he spends his adult life. Ultimately, serves humanity by dying for them. There's a consistency there which really struck me, and actually this got me going on the path to becoming a Christian. This very lovely phrase, this Jesus is full of 
truth. He's true, full of truth. That's the first present or gift he brings at Christmas. Jesus is truth. Secondly, we're told that Jesus is full of grace. Here's the second gift then, grace. Grace. Now, grace is a funny word, isn't it? We kind of know what it means, not just what you say at the beginning of a meal or a a girl's name, but grace, unmerited kindness, a gift that we don't deserve. So the one that sticks out for me in my family and Christmas story is this. Uh, A number of years ago, uh, I recently passed my driving test. It was a few years ago. Uh, passed my driving test. It was the first Christmas I was allowed to drive with many uh, uh, admonitions, you know, be careful, icy, etc., etc. And uh, we lived in the middle of nowhere, uh, country bumpkins, and uh, so very lots of windy lanes, and it was a little bit dangerous, I guess. Anyway, one night, I remember in December, I uh, went to the cinema, picked up my girlfriend, took her to the cinema, not long past my test, so I was pretty cool, obviously, driving the country lanes, <laughs> uh, whizzing around, you know, uh, demonstrating my uh, driving prowess. And it was fine, we had a good time at the cinema, and I dropped her off home, and as I turned around, uh, I reversed into a tree, uh, which was not very cool in front of her, but anyway. <laughs> and uh, so I drove home thinking, oh, no. No, this is mum's car, which I was allowed to drive if I paid for the petrol. That was the deal. Uh, oh, I'm going to lose all driving privileges. I'm never going to be allowed to drive, not for months and months. So I got home. And the next day, oh, Dad, um, I think someone drove into me in the car park at the cinema. And he came out and looked at this and, oh, okay. A few days later... He said, oh, I, uh, I took the car to the body shop and got it repaired. It was a few hundred pounds. Uh, they pulled out a bit of um, foliage from behind the bumper <laughs> where, uh, where it had got crushed. And a uh, pretty angry tree that attacked the car, I think, <laughs> in the car park. And you, can you imagine, age 17, you I just, oh, no, I've lied to my dad and he knows. And uh, I said, oh, what do you want me to do? He said, oh, I don't want you to do anything. I've paid for the repairs. It's fine. In fact, I filled the car up, car up with petrol. You can have that. It's free. And he handed me the keys and just simply said, don't lie. Now, that was not normal behavior in my household. And it wasn't that he'd had a few sherries that morning and uh, a couple of mince pies. I just don't know why he chose at that moment in time just to show me Grace. Not just justice, you pay, your mistake. Not just forgiveness, you've crashed the car and you've lied to me, but let's write it off. But generosity, grace. You don't pay for the petrol either. I'm just giving that to you. Grace. Unmerited kindness is what I was shown. And the second gift that John speaks of Jesus showing is grace. That's what you and I need, and that's what we, des- Sorry, that's what we need from God. I guess most people, if they do assume that there's a God in heaven, it works a bit like this. We treat him a little bit like kids relate to Santa Claus, I guess. Dear Santa, I've been good, can I have? Or, dear Santa, I've been more good than bad, so can I have? One of those two ways, a child slightly get more, a bit more sophisticated as they grow older. And I guess most people assume if there's a God, that's how we do it. God, I've been more good than bad, so I deserve your heaven. Christian is one who says, I'm not relying on myself. I know what I'm like. 
I don't deserve your heaven. I know I'm deeply flawed. I know I don't live as I desire and not how you desire. God, I don't deserve, but please will you very kindly give me heaven? Will you show me grace? You might say, of course, um, well, it's a bit glum to say uh, uh, all of us are flawed, all of us have problems, all of us, I guess the Bible word, uh, 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 sin. I don't think it's glum, I just think it's realism. It's just realism, isn't it? So this Christmas time, I don't know if you have slightly grander ambitions and you look around and read the papers and think, uh, this Christmas, oh, it would be great to have world peace, wouldn't it be good? It would be great to have world peace, we think, yeah, if we think rightly. And yet I know for myself, I'll be angry. I'll issue irritable words, angry words this Christmas. I can't even control my own domestic household and be peaceful there, let alone desire peace in the world. And some of us, if we're generous-minded, will think, well, it'd be good to end world poverty. I'd like to see it end to world poverty. Some of those people out there. And yet this Christmas will accumulate thousands of gifts in our household, but maybe send, I don't know, a token, 50 quid, to refugees who've lost everything in Iraq or Syria at the hands of such wickedness. Maybe we don't even manage that. Because actually at the heart of all of us, there's a real selfishness. And it's horrible when that's exposed. There was, um, the BBC carried his story last week, I don't know if you saw it, a chap in Milton Keynes uh, got home, he'd been a a boozy work lunch, Christmas lunch, and got home and uh, collapsed early, about six o'clock, had gone to bed, not turning uh, any, not closing any windows, etc., a bit of a drunken fog, had fallen asleep, Uh, but then he got up in his sleep, and for some reason, it's just one of those things that happens, he got up in his sleep and started changing all the light bulbs in his house while sleepwalking. The only problem was that he did it completely naked with all the windows, uh, none of the curtains drawn. And uh, some of his kindly neighbours, I'm sure none of, none of us here would, but some of his kindly neighbours filmed it and uh, took photos. And so presumably the next day or a couple of days later when he's uh, sent one or two of these things, can, oh, you, just, can you imagine that? That is horrible. As there are plentiful photos of you standing naked in your window changing a light, but that's terrible, isn't it, to be exposed like that, but to be morally exposed. Our actions revealed, our thoughts revealed to others, what we truly think of them, the anger, the, the lust perhaps, it would be horrible to be exposed. And so what we want from God is not what we deserve, because actually when we're morally exposed, we're not great people. We're not the nicest people in the world. But God offers us unmerited kindness. It says, no, 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 no one deserves heaven. But I will send my son to die in your place because I'm gracious. Trust in him. Heaven is a gift. Truth, grace, their wonderful presence at Christmas. Here's the third and last, uh, more briefly. Himself. It's a big issue, isn't it? But the Word became flesh. God came himself that very first Christmas. I wonder if I could put it that way. God gave himself, not distant, not aloof. 
he came because he cares. Now, that matters enormously. I was very impressed uh, reading uh, in the papers uh, 29-year-old William Pooley. Do you, he, he was the, uh, the, uh, the nurse, British nurse, who contracted Ebola in Sierra Leone, was flown back by the RAF, and uh, they took care of him in the role free, near death, but they brought him back, and uh, he's recovered now from Ebola, and um, a couple of weeks ago he went back out to Sierra Leone. Now, that is impressive, I think. Someone who knows the risks, who's contracted the illness, drew near to death himself, but has recovered, and knowingly, willingly has exposed himself to that risk again. Why has he done that? Well, when he was interviewed, he said quite simply, I cannot stand idly by and watch others die. He's gone. At that first Christmas, God himself said, I cannot stand idly by and watch while those I had made destroy their lives and shut themselves off from my heaven forever. I can do something. I can go. I will die for them. And of course, that first Christmas, God himself came as a baby, grew up to be a man who died in our place. You might not think it really, if you think hard enough, the things we get exposed for, the way we live our lives, they're not good. But God can show us grace because Jesus died in place of people like you and me. That's how Christmas and Easter come together. Now that is a wonderful gift. But it's a very wonderful thing alongside it to know that God is one who comes. He cares not distant, not aloof. Now, I don't know what your worldview is, uh, whether you're religious in some way, agnostic, atheist, but these are two of the issues that you can't avoid in this life, suffering and death. They catch up with everyone eventually, suffering and death. Jesus Christ came and he suffered death so that you and I might go to heaven. Now, I don't know what your answer to those issues is, suffering and death. But that's what Jesus came to do. That matters. I don't know how your year has gone. Whether you look back on 2014 and think, oh, terrific year, or a hard year. For us and our family, we've lost a child. I've spent the last five, six months watching my father slowly die. That's not a great year. But I tell you, knowing that God is not aloof, that he's compassionate, that he cares, that he came, transforms those things makes all the difference in the world three extraordinary gifts truth grace himself and so could i just please please say to you this morning do take those seriously not many gifts are memorable these are very memorable gifts now let me put it this way if you've never sort of thought that through properly please do Please do, please take this one seriously. Some would know Kerry Packer was the richest uh, Australian man. Uh, he died a few years ago worth a gazillion pounds or, or something similar to that. So one of the stories that came out when he died, uh, one of the obituaries was uh, a funny account. He'd um, one day with some of his friends gone for a dinner in a town they were passing through. And uh, uh, 
so stopped at this pub and said, okay, there's uh, five of us, we want dinner. Uh, we have, no, I'm afraid we've stopped serving food for the night. Really? You can't? No, 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 we stopped serving food. Well, okay. They went across the town square to the, uh, is that, you don't have those in Australia, do you? Anyway, went across the street uh, to uh, to the neighboring uh, pub and said, oh, can you say, yeah, no problem, come in. And the dinner was served and they enjoyed their meal and the bill came for the end, uh, $240. And um, so Kerry Packer got out his checkbook and wrote this check for, if I think I'm right, one hundred thousand two hundred eighty dollars, and uh, gave it to the guy, the barman, the uh, landlord, and said, "There's the check. Two hundred eighty dollars is the bill. Hundred thousand is the tip. One condition: before you cash it, you go and show it to the landlord over the road." <laughs> you can do. Th- is that mean or is it generous? I'm not sure. But what was the first landlord? What was his mistake? Not the fact he didn't serve a meal, but he didn't recognize who this guy was. What a mistake for him to make. You've got to recognize who Jesus is and the gifts he brings. It's a terrible mistake to miss out. Please don't do that. If you've never really studied him, thought about him, read of his life, just gullibly perhaps. It's a naughty word perhaps for me to use, but I think that's right. Assumed he's a fairy story. Oh, please take the time to think of him seriously. For those of us who are Christians, well, give thanks. You know him. But why not show gifts like these this Christmas? Truth, grace of yourself. Because some gifts are worth much more. They have, you can't put a monetary value on them, can you? To end a row that's been simmering for a long time. To forgive someone who's wronged you generously. To put aside your sort of false assumptions, negative thoughts of someone. To show them grace, though they don't deserve it. To anonymously, excuse me, anonymously give a gift to someone. To very kindly treat someone at work who's deeply unpleasant. Why not show the sort of kindness, generosity that God did that first Christmas time. Truth, grace, himself, wonderful gifts, wonderful gifts. Let me lead us in a brief prayer. Father, we thank you for these gifts that come through that first Christmas that the Word became flesh, that God the Son became a man and gave himself to this world, full of truth, full of grace, though we don't deserve it. And we pray we would respond rightly to him this Christmas. Amen.